Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week I sat down with Troy, Paul, Pierce, and Jonah from Over the Edge, our Blister-recommended bike shops in Fruta, Colorado, Hurricane, Utah, Todos Santos, Mexico, and Melrose, Australia, to talk about everything that they're up to, including the early history of ODE and all of the trail building that they did that, frankly, had a huge role in developing Fruta as a major mountain bike destination. And along the way, we get into it about the development of mountain bike towns and traveling to ride, the importance of having a place to get your bike serviced promptly when you're on a trip so that you don't have to spend the whole trip waiting for your bike to get out of the shop, fixing rampage bikes, including building wheels and servicing suspension for those guys, and a whole bunch more. It's a really fun one. We cover a lot of cool ground here. So let's dive right into my conversation with Troy, Paul, Pierce, and Jonah from Over the Edge. Well, it's great to be sitting down with all of you, and welcome on to Bikes and Big Ideas. How are you all today, and where are you today? Well, I am good. I am in Salt Lake, Utah right now. And this is Troy, and I'm sitting in uh, Fruit of Colorado right now. I'm Jonah, and I'm happy to be here as well, right next to Troy and Paul. I'm Paul. I'm in Fruta. Yeah, well, again, welcome on. Great to have you here. And so, I guess just to kick things off... Love to have each of you take a moment to kind of run through your respective roles at OTE and what you guys each do at the shop. Great. Yeah. So my name's Pierce Kettering. I'm a sales manager at the Over the Edge Hurricane Shop. Um, really love the Southern Utah terrain and the Over the Edge Shop down there pretty much encapsulates everything I love about mountain biking. Uh, I'm Jonah. I'm a mechanic in Fruta. Um, love it here. Been to almost all the over the edges except for the one Bob, but that's next. And, um, yeah, we'll go from there. I'm Paul Aida. I've been part of the over the edge family for 27 years now. Um, I opened DT Swiss USA in 1995 probably within a month or so of when Over the Edge Fruta opened and Troy and I became friends then and have been friends ever since. I've always worked, quote, unquote, with, with Troy on helping him with the business. And I started working formally with Over the Edge with Troy at Over the Edge World headquarters uh, about five years ago, four and a half years ago. So I work with Troy on on driving the the brand forward, and yeah, that's my story. I'm I'm a bike industry guy for life, and uh, I'm optimistic for the future of Over the Edge. We have a lot of a lot of cool things going on, and some really motivated young guns in our group. And Troy and I are working with them to to keep this going for another 27 years. I'm Troy. I'm Troy Rarick, the founder of Over the Edge, and I started a bike shop in Fruit of Colorado in 1995. And I wouldn't be here 27 years later talking about our success story if it wasn't for these people surrounding me. So thank you all. We have a lot of good energy, like Paul mentioned. We've got young people that are excited about what's going on and 
obviously the sport of mountain biking has just thrived in these recent years and we're super excited to be a part of it and to be a leader in that and yeah i'm really grateful to be here today thanks yeah great chatting with you all and joan i guess you touched on this a little bit but uh over the edge has a number of other locations beyond the fruta and hurricane shops we've already talked about and so I guess, Troy, can you maybe give us a little bit of a rundown on how the whole Over the Edge group works and where the rest of your shops are? Yeah, absolutely. Like, So it came after about 10 years of Over the Edge Fruta that Fruta was a pretty early destination in the idea of mountain bike destinations. Before Fruta, mostly there was Moab and Crested Butte were pretty much like targets in the sport. So we really pioneered like how to use mountain bike trails to reinvigorate a town that had fallen on some pretty financial hard times. And that led to other people talking to us and asking us how that worked, how they could do that. Should they do that? That led us to uh, visiting other places and talking to communities about mountain bike tourism. And, and that next step led to people asking about opening a store, uh, Quentin and DJ were the first. We knew them from Brian Head, Utah, and they were regulars in Fruta. And then they asked about opening an Over the Edge in Hurricane. And we kind of just learned together in how to do that. And that's been 13 years ago now that they're successful there as well. And then that led me to speaking at a conference in Australia, which led to the relationship with Melrose South Australia. We had a tremendous influence in Sedona, Arizona. We had a tremendous influence in in several areas where we still don't even have a shop, but it's really beautiful that we have ended up with a over the edge in Fruta, obviously Hurricane, Melrose, South Australia, and Todos Santos, Baja, Mexico. And we all work together. They're all independently locally owned stores, and we all work together as a group. Right on. And I'd love to hear you talk a bit more about that sort of development of the mountain bike infrastructure in Fruta and the fostering of it as a real mountain bike destination. And the bit you touched on too about helping invigorate a town that was down on its luck a little bit there. So just kind of take us through that period of over the edge and the mountain bike scene in Fruta and what you all did to kind of help bring things around there. Yeah, so it was the mid-90s. I had uh, been working manager of a bike shop in Denver, Colorado. I was recruited by Kevin Dwyer to replace him as the manager of Poison Spider in Moab, Utah. So I was on my way to Moab, Utah to be manager of a shop that we all revere, Poison Spider Cycles. And, and in that process, they didn't want me to start in Moab until the first of the year of 95. And in that time, there was a little gap in there, killing time before I was going to go to Moab and take this job at Poison Spider. And I love to tease Kevin because Kevin asked me, he said, are you sure you're really going to be happy doing my thing? You seem like the kind of person that should do your own thing. And the Valley Grand Junction Fruta area was just budding in the mountain bike world. Like We were just getting the Cocopelli Trail had just been defined between fruit and moab uh there's new trails being developed mostly illegally here and there around the valley and in that time i just really saw the potential of this area of western colorado that was financially on hard times like 
downtown Fruita was vacant buildings and Fruita had been bankrupt just three years before we opened. It was really a tough time in, in the Western Colorado economy. And so all these pictures in my mind collided to the point of maybe we should do something mountain bike oriented here. And the town of Fruita just proved to be the place because of real estate was free, basically <laughs> super cheap town was on its heels and it's surrounded by public land in about a hundred miles in every direction, including to the West where you'll run into Moab within that range. So it just really suddenly seemed like the obvious writing on the wall, bought a building in downtown Fruita and started building trails out North of town, which is 18 road or North Fruita desert. And, uh, it was really a beautiful effort because the trails came before there was even a cash register. So that to me defines over the edge and that we really got involved in the dirt, in the family, in the culture of mountain biking from the beginning. And then the retail sales of bikes and parts has just been the way to do that sustainably over 27 years. So I really think it's a beautiful effort that is a group of people gathered together around a common point that we all know. I really love that part of the story and just kind of the idea of you didn't just see a town that had super well-developed mountain bike infrastructure and think, I can add a shop to that. The fact that it was sort of that you did so much to develop Fruita as a place where there is a real mountain bike destination there now. And then part of that obviously includes having a shop to get people bikes and service and whatever else they might need. But, you know, trails are a huge part of that too. And I'd be curious to hear just a bit about kind of what the reaction was like around town to this development of mountain biking as an activity in a tourism industry around town. Because if there wasn't a huge bike community and mountain bike community specifically there prior necessarily, kind of what did those early days of its development feel like? And just what was the reaction around town? That's a great question because it was widely varied really would be the answer from, you know, a town had no, no real traffic issues, nothing really going on. Like the town was just kind of a place where people lived and all of a sudden here's this bike shop opening. And I think the town was pretty much like just looking at me a little crooked, like not sure what was really going on. And uh, there was some, a lot of agricultural and even cattle ranching kind of roots around here. So mountain biking was a little bit, you know, odd, new thing, new kids on the block. So it was a, it was a little mixed bag. And even the federal land managers were largely just kind of ignoring us for a while and, and kind of just not sure we were really legit or maybe we would just go away after a little while. Um, we actually held a town meeting in the first year because I saw this, these people looking at over the edge from the outside and wondering what in the world was going on here and whether they should be supportive of it or angry because they rode horses and we were riding mountain bikes. So we held a town meeting and it was really beautiful that it got a bunch of the old agricultural people together. Um, and some of the godfathers of the fruit agricultural scene, like, Carlucci Farms that that gentleman must have been 80 years old then and he's no longer with us now but 
he stood up in that meeting and he said, I think it's a good idea. I think we could use some new people in this town. <laughs> and it was really neat because it kind of turned the tide of a bunch of suspicious onlookers and realizing that these mountain bikers weren't going to come into town and do crazy things and ruin their property or whatever. It was more just a bunch of adults that would come and ride and support a local restaurant, which we really didn't have any in those days. So it was a beautiful thing. And they, it was neat that he saw it that way. And he said that, and a lot of the other ranchers, farmers couldn't really disagree with him. He was the, the godfather of the thing of the fruit of agricultural scene. So that was really pretty. And, and it really started to gain momentum as people realized that mountain bikers weren't, you know, some ugly energy or, you know, whatever, some negative force coming into town that they were just regular folks from all over the world. And all of a sudden Fruita kind of got excited about the fact that they had visitors from other places and a city manager then John Schneiger, he said to me, we haven't had foreigners in Fruita before. <laughs> like there really wasn't a European scene in Fruita, Colorado. And all of a sudden you were seeing people come from around the world to ride mountain bike trails. And it really was neat how the town and over the edge really joined together as partners. And that's continued all the way through to now. It's really a good relationship. That's really cool. And I'd be interested to hear more too about just the, trail building angle of it too. I mean, you said you were building out at 18 road. What was the reaction from the land manager? Like what kind of relationship did you have in those early days and sort of how well were those trails sanctioned from the get go, as opposed to just being some guys out digging in the woods, right? <laughs> kind of getting after it. Well, for example, they weren't sanctioned at all. They were, so in the winter of 94, 95, we were cleaning out a hundred year old building to put a bike shop in downtown Fruita, Colorado, same building we're in today, 202 East Aspen Avenue in Fruita. And we would work on that building in the morning and then go out in the sun in the winter. This is a winter in 94, 95. And we'd go out in the warm part of the day and start building trails out of North Fruita Desert. We just kind of followed cow trails and then built our own additions and just kind of started having a heyday out there. And there was probably, I don't know, 30, 40 miles of trail by the time the BLM really acknowledged that we were doing this for real at all. And at that point, they just pretty much said, you got to stop. And at that point, we were not really interested in stopping. And so that led us into a bit of a standoff with the federal land managers which really set the stage for why we ended up working with other towns around the world, because we had to learn the hard lessons of dealing with federal land managers that weren't really supportive of the project. So that, that led to 10 years of learning advocacy and, and working together with our local group, COPMOBA, and just really getting the relationship with the BLM sorted. But in those early days, it was definitely a ragtag bunch just kind of doing a mountain bike fledgling effort, which I think is kind of also beautiful because we've come to a point now in the world where trails are paid to be constructed. You know, they're, they're built by companies and the, the land manager processes are pretty well-defined and streamlined and every community has an advocacy organization. That wasn't the case back then. It was a bunch of passionate people that just, went out in the desert and the dirt and started digging beautiful trails. 
with a mind for erosion and and to do it the right way like we didn't want to just ride in lines we wanted them to be sustainable and top quality and that kind of caught the ear of imba who came over and became a partner with us early on also they were pretty brand new in their power and we realized that we had the same motives to build sustainable mountain bike trails that were fun to ride and so by the time the blm was telling us to stop this project Imba had noticed it. The city of Fruta had noticed, as I said, that new people were coming to town and mountain bikers had noticed and the media had noticed. And there was article, articles coming out like in Bicycling Magazine. We had a cover that was our first big press. So right at the point the BLM said, you got to stop this mountain bike stuff. There was so much momentum. It was like the city of Fruta stepped forward and said, wait a sec. We don't really want them to stop. <laughs> we like what's happening. And so that really kind of started this thing in earnest that we all of a sudden over the edge has always been as i said not just a retail store of bike parts but the clubhouse where you can just show up and find out where to go where to camp what to do over the edge is the people that are at those meetings over the edge of the people with a trail tool that are out in the dirt digging or fixing that line it's uh it's been a really beautiful clubhouse of the culture of mountain biking and I always was really proud of that, that it was a place for people, you know, the business side just kind of went along with it. It's all always been about the people and about the trails, about the lifestyle of mountain biking. Yeah, I think that's a pretty similar story to a lot of places where in the early days of mountain biking, there just wasn't enough momentum behind it to really catch the attention of land managers and allow for a whole lot of sanctioned trail building or opening up of access of existing trails to mountain bikes. And so the culture kind of just was, well, if we're not going to be allowed to do it, we're going to go do it anyway and just start building. And I mean, you know, it was cool to kind of build something in a grassroots way like that, but it's also good now that we're really getting to a point where there's every town's got their own advocacy group now. And we're, moving away from that and into a place where mountain biking's kind of more broadly accepted and it's easier to get funding and permission and things are just moving forward. So it's been cool watching that evolution happen. We've seen it jump into this new, it's known now, like it's known around the world. And the idea that mountain bike tourism could affect a small town is pretty well known. And every little town wants to build mountain bike trails now. And there's hundreds of trail building companies and millions of dollars going into trail building. Communities are into it. Land managers are into it. Trail building companies are thriving. They're so busy. But we also, I have seen that there's a certain gentrification of the mountain bike trail process. And a lot, everybody that mountain bikes knows that there's some cookie cutter kind of trails out there and I came a negative term, this flow trail idea, because people started to just think it was sheen built, same old. You could lay a, that in the derogatory sense of a flow trail, you could lay the same trail at everywhere in the world, right? You have the same trail on Mount Fuji in Japan and the same trail in the book cliffs of Fruita, Colorado. That isn't mountain biking to me. Like the earth is the and I always say the best mountain bike trail is the least amount of dirt moved on it. It's just there on the land. You're appreciating the surface of the earth and like 
surfing the land almost, right? Not that I'm saying, certainly not that we just ride everywhere because that doesn't work and that's not sustainable. But boy, a trail should be well thought out and the experience of the rider should be the priority of the finished product. Right now with paid trail building, we've got a lot of trails going in that I'm frankly a little bit disappointed in. Like they're getting the miles laid down on the ground. They're getting the trails done. They're getting paid for the job. But when you go ride that trail, I notice like, wow, they could have gone right there by that rock and it would have been really cool. But they didn't. They just went straight across the dirt because they're trying to get the thing done. So I think we've got to be really careful that we don't end up in a, you know, too refined and too cookie cutter. Mountain biking is supposed to be a little bit not predictable, a little bit not gentrified right you're supposed to be surprised there's supposed to be rocks around that corner there's supposed to be things you didn't expect you shouldn't be able to close your eyes and ride a mountain bike trail it's kind of a delicate dance there's no one size fits all answer to it but uh i feel like we as just the mountain biking community at large are kind of learning how to make it work and building those relationships with uh land managers and the rest to get to build some more interesting stuff in a lot of places and it's it's cool seeing things moving forward. So, Paul, I guess I'd love to hear from you at this point. So, tell us a bit more about where you came into Over the Edge and how you got involved in the early days and what your role's been since then. Well, in the early days, I was managing DT Swiss, and Troy called me and he asked me if he could come pick up a box of spokes. <laughs> and I said... Um, okay, Troy, so you want me and a bunch of other people here to stop what they're doing to pick a box for of spokes for you. Why don't you send me a purchase order that I can hand to the order processing department and they'll know what to do and we'll get you taken care of. And I didn't even know what a PO was. And, <laughs> and that surprised Troy because he thought we were just a spoke store or something. <laughs> And we were a factory supplying distributors and bike companies all over the country. And anyway, Troy noticed that that I had some ideas on how to run a business professionally. And he asked me to help him with the Fruita store. And I started to hang out at the store a little bit more and, you know, made some suggestions on how putting some systems and procedures in place would make things easier, make life easier for the employees and that the customer experience would be better if mistakes weren't made and that sort of thing. And and Troy appreciated that input and I got more involved on the board of directors of the store and we worked together to make some changes to allow the store to, to operate better, I guess. We, It's so true. And it's one of the keys to over the edge and what makes it a special thing beyond just a bike shop is, as I said, we're passionate about trails and we've got a deep running passion, but that passion has to also be backed up with an organization. And it really was huge for us to realize that if things worked perfectly, customer was happier, sales were better, the staff was happier, the business worked better. And that really was a key part of our evolution that's true and and even now 20 years later we're we're at a similar point where the volume of business and the the number of people and products that we are 
in contact with every day is is forcing us to to be better retailers. I mean, we're we have cool bike shops that's pretty well established, but we're we're working towards being better retailers and to be at the forefront of of retail operations. So that's something that I'm focusing on now with the stores. Yeah, so I I started like I mentioned I started working more well I don't know once say full time but but you know over the edge has been my focus in in work since early 2018 and I'd like to continue to build the over the edge familia and the community we are interested in having shops in geographically different places we're looking at uh other parts of the country central US even eastern and we can help a a new shop uh start up more easily than just going it alone i think that's one of the one of our strengths is if a new store wants to open in an area that that we like uh we can give a store a pretty significant head start with with know-how with our huge customer following um best practices access to vendor accounts these types of things uh, so that's that's where my focus is right now is working with the stores to be the best retailers that we can be and looking to recruit new members new new shops in our group right on and i guess sort of along those lines a little bit how do you all sort of view the canonical over the edge customer is there kind of a specific facet of mountain biking or biking generally that you're more focused on or how do you kind of think about who your customer is and who you are really trying to speak to well our customers are typically traveling to ride their bikes so their trip is a big deal um their time is limited. Most of our customers have very busy lives, uh, families, and their mountain bike vacation is very important. And we want them to have a great time. Um, that's why we demo or rent very high-end bikes so they can get on an excellent bike while they're here in the Disneyland of of trails. Um, our service departments are amazing. We have professional mechanics who get you back out on the trail right away. You know, we don't ask people to leave their bikes for five days. You know, we, we try to fix it immediately so that people can get out and ride. Um, and uh, like Troy mentioned, we will help people, you know, where to eat, where to camp, um, what to do. You know, we're, we're not, we're not just there to run the cash register. We we're we're, as much in the hospitality business as we are the bike business. And we really do care about our, our guests. It's worth saying directly that we realized early on, we're an enthusiast mountain bike shop. Like we are, we have an audience of, of us. Like I'm a mountain biker. We're all mountain bikers and we know our customer because we are our customer. So like over the edge quickly realized that I, I saw that we couldn't be everything to everyone. Like, you know, you can't be a bike shop that has, I spoke at the bicycle leadership conference once and I said, okay, with a specialty bicycle retailer, 
and we're supposed to sell kids' bikes, tandems, recumbents, road bikes, commuter bikes, and e-bikes. We got all these things we're supposed to specialize in. Over the Edge is an enthusiast cyclist shop. Um, uh, we don't have uh, recumbents in the store. We don't have any of those things. Like We have a great audience of enthusiast cyclists, and a lot of them ride road bikes and commute and mountain bikes, and fair enough, and we support all of that. But we are definitely have found our success at being targeted at an audience that appreciates being recognized, understood. And as Paul said, you're on vacation or even whatever. You just live here and you're going to do a ride with your your friends tomorrow. And all of a sudden your dropper post doesn't work. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that problem. But you take it to a shop and they're like, we're really backed up and we're, we'll get to it by next week. Well, that doesn't help you. Where you walk into an over the edge and they're like, get get a coffee and come back in an hour and we'll have this thing ready, right? Like that's because we understand what the people are doing. There are people and we know you want to ride your bike. And when when bikes are so good nowadays, they work so great. But boy, when one piece is not functioning properly, especially hydraulics today and brakes and suspension and dropper posts, all that is finicky stuff. And if it doesn't work. You don't want to be without your bike for the next two weeks. It's not 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 in our plan. So I think we really recognized our, our customer and it helped us to be able to realize who our customer was, focus on that, have those parts in stock. We don't like to say, oh, yeah, we'll order it. No, we like to say we've got it. I've always said in Over the Edge, we may not have everything, but we have what you need. And like I say, the key thing to for our inventory starting point have everybody's disc brake pad, have everybody's trailer hanger. That'll get you a lot of friends. And if you can save somebody's vacation, lo and behold, they come back and they say, hey, I was noticing that you have that blank bike in the store and I would love to come and demo one. And that leads to retail sales because we honored our people first. I think our motto as a business is love your people and let them love you back. And it seems to work. It's a pretty good way to do things. And I think that's actually a fairly perfect segue to kick it over to you, Jonah, kind of as the mechanic here. You know, uh, Troy was just talking about the quick turnaround times being a key part of the over the edge uh, proposition for a customer. So tell us about your job at over the edge and how you kind of work on handling those super fast turnarounds that he's talking about. So we do, we do some great things in the back of the over the edge stores. It's, it's pretty cool. I can't like, I wanted to chime in and say like, I can't tell you how many times a day I've seen that situation happen where like they come in and they're like, man, you guys saved my vacation 10 years ago. You know, my dropper wasn't working and you got me a new one. And I ended up leaving the store with, you know, way more things that were working on my bike that weren't working before I came in. And, it's pretty cool to, to do that every day. And, um, yeah, how we go about that is just, everyone's always hands-on, you know, no matter what we're doing, sometimes I'll have three different projects going on. And if I see someone walk in the door, I'll stop what I'm doing and at least say hi to them and let them know I'll be right with them or, you know, just take care of them some way or somehow. And it's pretty cool. Like every store does that so well, like in hurricane, they're great about getting people in and out 24 hour turnaround time, no matter 
you know, what our schedule was, we were going to get you in and out and do all the rentals for the day as well. Um, it's, it's pretty unique thing to see. Like I've, I worked at another shop and it was, it it really wasn't, wasn't like that. You know, it was kind of like, Oh, we'll, we'll get to it when we can, you know, but not here, not over the edge. We're always like, we'll get to it. You know, like Troy said, just go get a coffee and you'll come back. Your bike will be way better than what it was before. And we'll keep all your budget in mind. And yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. It's like the, the best part of my job is like, getting to stoke people out, you know, and keep them, keep them just happy on the trail. And you know what, like, don't want them to like come back and be like, Oh, you guys did this. And now this isn't working. Like, you know, if that ever does happen, like we, we fix it, you know, we, we take care of them. We make sure they leave way happier than whenever they came in. Yeah. That's certainly what you'd hope everyone's striving for. But as we all know, it doesn't always work out that way. And I gather you have traveled a good bit around and visited the various over the edge locations kind of over the years. Tell us a bit more about sort of that aspect of what you do and how long you've been with over the edge doing all that. So I started with over the edge in 2018. I was in South Lake Tahoe and I was just serving bartending and, you know, just living the mountain life and kind of like wanted a second job kind of in my passion. I was, I was really into dirt jumping and, and motocross and whatever. And so, you know, I went into the, the local over the edge store and didn't really think much of the, of the over the edge name. I just thought it was kind of like this little mom and pa store. It was, had a really great vibe I'd get coffee, you know, get a tube or grips or whatever. And then, so yeah, I got a part-time job there with like zero experience and, and then two years down the line, I was full time at the the shop, you know, not serving or bartending anymore and working my passion. And it was great. And, um, you know, went to all these staff retreats. And that's when Troy was like, if anyone wants to go to Jamaica, you know, we can make that happen. And and so no one took the opportunity. And I went straight to Jamaica and and that was insane. And and then I was like, all right, this this is this is where I want to be is that over the edge. And I was like, you know, what else can we do? So I hit up the people in Australia, Melrose, the owners. And I was like, hey, would you guys, you know, have me for a few months? I'd love to experience uh, Australia and, you know, the bike industry out there. And of course they said yes and got me on a plane in like two months. I was there and hung out and those guys were incredibly awesome. And, you know, same vibe there, like the big vacation town and you're, you know, turning people over and, that was a big cafe and bike shop. So people were, were really excited there. And then, you know, came back to the States for a little bit and was working back at Tahoe. And then I was like, Oh, I want to go explore some more stuff. So I hit up the quitting at, at over the edge hurricane and went and worked out there for a season and got to experience all that great stuff. And, and it was super fun and met some great, great people. I'm still super good friends with. And, you know, got to broaden my knowledge of the bike industry and see all the, the crazy things and numbers that they're doing at that store. It's uh, pretty cool over there. And then um, went back to Tahoe for another season and worked there. And when stuff got slow, went to Fruta, you know, because why not? You know, that's the creme de la creme of all the over the edges. And that's where I'm at right now. And it's it's pretty cool to see, like how each store is so unique, but also 
the same as in like just taking care of everyone that comes in, no matter what you are, what you need, like we're going to help you out. We're going to give you a smile on your face on the way out. Right on. That's a pretty unique and pretty cool experience as a mechanic to get to do all that and just see so many different parts of the world and different bits of mountain bike towns and mountain bike culture. And so I guess on that note, Pierce, let's talk about the hurricane shop a bit. We haven't heard too much from you yet. Uh, what's your role over there and what's the mountain bike scene in hurricane like? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I'm a sales manager at the over the edge um, in hurricane really enjoy working there, interacting with customers every day, working with my hands, running around on my feet. Um, it's really special to me to see people come from all walks of life in all locations to our little rural town because they've heard of the riding here, because they've heard of how the shop has treated people. And it's my goal and everyone else's goal there to maintain that image and ensure if they walked in with a smile, that smile is even bigger when they leave. Speaking of things that add smiles, the terrain we have there is really why people are itching to come to Hurricane and Southern Utah in general. Um, we have a lot of natural terrain kind of going on what Troy was talking about earlier. Mountain biking shouldn't be easy. Half the fun is in the suffering. The other half is in conquering things you couldn't do the ride before. And trails like Gooseberry Mesa, Grafton Mesa, um, Flying Monkey, they'll test you physically, mentally, and you'll never feel better when you're out there in the beautiful desert with good friends, good company. You know, we do shop rides every Saturday so we can help people experience the reason why we choose to live in Southern Utah, the trails, the people, and kind of the overall, you could say encapsulation of that feeling as a whole. Yeah, it's a cool looking spot and I have not yet made it down there, but it's definitely on the to-do list for sure. We'll show you a good time. Yeah, we'll we'll have to make that happen sometime soon. We'll be in touch. It's well worth making a venture to Hurricane because it is such a unique landscape in the world. I mean, we're talking Zion National Park, Red Bull Rampage. It's it's heavy duty country, and it's it's intimidating to a lot of people to go ride there. But it's really well worth to go and just experience that unique world of slick rock and single track that is kind of one of a kind in the whole mountain bike world. Yeah, and I'm glad that Troy brought up Red Bull Rampage because this is a shop where you quite literally help those riders. Um, Jordan, one of our expert mechanics, he built the wheel set for Tyler McCall for Last Rampage. We helped Brage Vestovic rebuild his shock. Um, these are things you don't hear about at every bike shop. And the only reason we are the shop to do so is because we've built up that reputation over time that we are riders first. And so we understand where you're coming from. Let's get you back out there as soon as we can, as happy as you can be. Yeah. And it's been a motto of ours. I think we keep touching on service and we really believe in our perfect service approach and being able to do it right now. But I assure you that it is doing it right now and doing it right like we say that it's not just walking out the door with a smile. It's that, that that person is riding that bike three weeks later and telling everybody, man, over the edge was awesome because not only did they fix it fast, but they really fixed it and it's really still working perfectly. Like that's, that's where we built a reputation that's lasted a quarter of a century. 
is doing it right. And like that, you know, as Pierce said, that builds us an audience with some pretty high level riders that need that wheel set to be built properly. If they're going to go huck it off a cliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's certainly a pretty cool and pretty unique experience that you're not going to have at a lot of shops and, uh, very cool that you're able to make that happen for those guys because like you said that riding is certainly pushing bikes and riders a whole lot harder than the overwhelming majority of stuff and uh if you're making that work that's that's pretty good stuff i guess this has been a super fun chat with you all and it's been great getting the rundown on over the edge in the various locations any final notes that you want to touch on before I let you all get back to it? Uh, one thing I would add is we're always looking for the right people at Over the Edge. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you are passionate about bikes, you want to take that next step within the industry and meet a lot of cool people along the way. I'd highly suggest you reach out to us because we'd love to hear from you, your story, and hear about what flavor you could really add to the Over Edge family as a whole. I would like to add on that too, working for over the edge and being the kind of traveling soul that I am. It's so great going to each location and just being instantly like a part of the community. Like you've already been born and raised there and getting to know the ins and outs of every little trail, every little good restaurant, place to stay, things to do. It's awesome. Like if you want to travel and work over the edge is a great opportunity to do that for sure. It's often I've heard us called a franchise and I always prick to that comment a little bit because I want to add to these ending comments that over the edge is not a franchise. Every store is locally owned. And as Paul mentioned, we just have a quarter century of some really good practices, some good business lessons, some uh, tools in our quiver, some procedures and things that we have ironed out that we can help a business really work well and employ people, be sustainable, be a good member of a community and be a real anchor in the mountain biking sport. So that's what an over the edge is, is it's like a clubhouse for a mountain bike community. And it becomes the anchor. As I said, we are the ones going to meetings and the ones on trail projects and the ones in helping to drive something forward. And uh, we've got a beautiful family. We've had, uh, we heard Tahoe mentioned that store is not going to reopen thanks to some fires and such that happened up there. But, but we're, we're definitely always open to somebody that heard what we're saying here and resonates with that idea of being beautiful in a world of, we've got a lot of other business practices in the world today. Not everybody's honoring you. Not everybody's telling you the truth. Not everybody has your back. And we want to be a business that that stands for something beautiful. And if that appeals to somebody and you got a mountain bike town that you are interested in talking to us, get a hold of us. Troy at OTESports.com. Be happy to help you. Yeah, that's a nice note to end on. And it's been great chatting with you all, getting the over the edge story. And here's to another 27 years over the edge. So thanks, everybody. Amen to that, David. Thanks, man. Thank you. Cheers. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you're enjoying these conversations, then we'd really appreciate you taking a minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Troy, Paul, Pierce, and Jonah for the conversation. 
Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Bye, everybody.